0: Once more, I read the Word of God. This time, the viewpoint of Matthew, the eyewitness account. Matthew heard from Joseph primarily. Luke tells the story from Mary's viewpoint. Matthew from Joseph's. Listen to Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, So it is written by the prophet, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, and from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This, too, is God's word to us. Most of us are not stargazers. Not anymore in this society when the air is so befouled that we often cannot see very far. Above the earth, I wonder how many of you even notice the brightness of the moon tonight. I believe it's nearly full, a bright disk in the sky. I find myself day in, day out, moving from car to building to home, very seldom looking up. Even when there's a clear sky and the stars can be seen, I can't say I'm much of a stargazer. I think that's probably true of a lot of you. I think it's also true of a lot of you that you sent out Christmas cards, and one of the most common sights or images printed upon your cards are actually a somewhat false image of the star of Bethlehem. You know how it's always pictured, right? Here's a little sleepy town down here, and here's this brilliant, blazing, enormous thing, a star with Beams reaching out in all directions as if it was some kind of a gigantic fireball in the sky. I certainly wasn't there to witness it, but I can almost assure you the Star of Bethlehem did not look anything like that, not even remotely. We think that the star was something orchestrated by God. It was something, however, noticed by only a few. It probably was not so huge that the ordinary person walking about or even a shepherd sitting out on a hillside bored at what to do or what to say to his companions would have paid it any particular attention. You had to be somebody who knew the constellations and knew the heavens to notice that something was at least a little bit different in the sky. That's what we want to think about tonight, what was told us about those wise men coming to Bethlehem guided by a star. There's a little bit about astronomy and faith we want to talk about tonight briefly. First of all, I want you to be aware that the star of Bethlehem was there according to ancient expectation for a light from heaven. There are actually some numerous passages in the Old Testament that give the expectation that when Messiah would come, the Great One whom God would send, there would be some kind of a star or a great heavenly light. The book of Isaiah is particularly rich in speaking about this. Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, In Galilee, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light will have dawned on them. Similarly, Isaiah 60, beginning of that chapter, says, Arise! Shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises on you. The people of Israel much of the time through the Old Testament age were people who dwelt in a kind of social and spiritual darkness. That darkness was coming largely from a spiritual source of disobedience to the Lord, wallowing in unbelief, materialism, sensuality, intellectual blindness, pride and human glory in the government of the poor leaders that they so often had. Sounds an awful lot like 2018 to me. But there were prophets who foresaw that something was coming, that God was going to bring a brilliant beacon into their society for those who had the capability and the faith to see him He would change everything. His light would pierce their night. If you, like me, when I was young, we used to sing the song, it's not really a Christmas carol, I think of it as a children's song mostly, We Three Kings of Orient Are. I'm sure some of you could probably sing most of the lines of that. It it always bothers me a bit because the song propounds and prolongs several myths about the Magi. The Magi were not kings, never were they kings. They were wise men, they were astrologers, they were scientists from a far land. If you say from the Orient, you have to expand your idea of the Orient because they probably were from Iran and Iraq area, Persia and Babylon, we think, is their origin. I cannot forget one of the most surprising Christmases I experienced many, many years ago, probably almost 30 years ago, when I was a pastor of a very small church, and some folks brought a guest with them, and they introduced him to me as a university professor of philosophy. And I asked where he was from, and he said Iraq. This was before the Iraq War. And uh, I thought, I was stunned because I was preaching on the wise men, on the magi that day, and I realized, here's a magi, a wise man from Iraq who was there to witness my sermon that day. That's the best evidence we have about them. And by the way, we don't say that we can know that there were only three of them. We've got more mythology that gives them names which are not known for sure. There may have been five, ten. We don't know. We just know that they were multiple Probably we think there were three because they brought those three famous gifts. Well, the Magi were experts in things having to do with the heavens. They did probably practice some measure of astrology, something that the Bible actually forbids God's people to dabble in. And yet God used their knowledge of these things, their knowledge of the constellations, to bring them from a far place. And we think their main function is to tell us that God was calling Gentiles who even from the birth of Jesus saw that this was something special. They weren't Hebrews. They weren't people prepared by Hebrew faith, but they knew something of the Hebrew Scriptures. We think that's true because Daniel and others were once captives in their land and surely had the Hebrew Scriptures with them. So from centuries before, They knew something of the promises of books like Isaiah and Daniel that talked about the coming of Christ. Well, we need to consider these folks and this star that they followed. I want to talk to you about the star itself for a minute. Here's all the facts we have from Matthew 2. The star had been visible from a long distance from Jerusalem, more than 500 miles, they saw this thing. And they knew enough about international politics to believe that if it had to do with Judea and Israel, then Jerusalem was the place to go. They had actually lost sight of the star partway along the way, the scripture tells us, but they made their way to Jerusalem thinking this had to do with a great ruler in Israel, and so Jerusalem was the place where you would report. And I'm sure they expected upon coming there that the streets would be abuzz with talk of the Messiah of Israel. How strange it must have seemed to them as they asked the way to the palace of the ruler, Herod, to see that nobody was particularly stirred about anything. Nobody was particularly aware of the idea of the birth of a king for the people of Israel. But they came and they asked their question and you know, Herod sent his Bible scholars scurrying for an answer, and they came back quick enough and said, Oh, sure, we know where the Messiah will be born Bethlehem. Well, you would think if Herod had any kind of real interest in what was happening, he would have sent some of those Bible scholars along, wouldn't he? And by the way, Bethlehem's only about six miles down the road. But it's interesting to me that nobody from Herod's palace or his so called wise men cared enough to be stirred out of their seats and go six miles down the road to find out if God was really doing something wonderful and amazing. Well, I want to review for you for just a few minutes some of the possible explanations of what we call the Star of Bethlehem. Of course, one possibility you have to include, I guess, first on the list would be to say it was a complete myth, that it never happened at all, that it was just made up, But, you know, Matthew was an accountant. And the accountants I know don't deal with myths. They deal with numbers and hard facts and things that can be tallied up and and given a real accounting in black and white. And if Scripture is lying about this star, then it's lying about a lot of other things too, I would say. So we have to think of what, what are the explanations that might fit the laws of astronomy or things that we know might have been happening in the heavens. Well, some people say it wasn't a natural happening at all or or a star or a constellation. They say it was a totally supernatural light. Maybe this gets closer to the Christmas card type, blazing ball of fire. They say, oh, well, it must have been the Shekinah glory of God, like the great pillar of fire in the Old Testament Exodus where God led his people miraculously by visible fire, a column of fire in the desert. It was God's own glory. You didn't have to seek an astronomical explanation. People would say, God did that. That's all you have to know. Well, we certainly admit that could be the explanation. And yet there's more of an implication in the text that this was a star of some kind in the heavens, a heavenly body. And so we take up the explanation that was possible that came from Johannes Kepler, an early scientist in Europe who was also a Christian believer. Kepler suggested that it was what we call today a supernova. A supernova, as I understand it, is actually a dying star. Stars take a while to die. They take many years, in fact, to die, and and they go through different phenomena as they die, as they collapse upon themselves and send out burning material in all directions and attract a bit of notice. It might have been a supernova. The only problem with that is early astronomical records say the only supernova that was known that would ever fit the record or the accounting of that happened in 185 AD, about two centuries off from the birth of Christ. So we don't think that's too likely an explanation. Another idea, though, that maybe has some more uh, validity to it is that it was a comet. People saw comets streak across the sky, sometimes taking weeks or months to complete a visible journey, and they always thought that that was a sign of something special happening on Earth, a, a momentous event of some kind. By the way, we know that Halley's comet was seen in 12 B.C., but that was about six years too early to be a comet that coincided with the birth of Jesus in 6 B.C. One reason a comet would qualify is because it does move across the sky, and we hear in the accounting here in in Matthew that the star did move in a westerly direction and caused the Magi to follow it in that way. But the interesting thing is that at least the mythology regarding comets was that they, usually the event they signified supposedly on Earth was a death or a tragedy. It's not known of any records that people said comets signified a great birth. Well, there's another explanation yet. I offer it to you. You who are scientifically minded might find it a little bit interesting, but we can't say whether this even was the right explanation. It could have been a conjunction of planets. There's astronomical validity for this, that the two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, had what is called a conjunction, and I don't know how to explain that, except that they moved in their orbits in a closer range to one another as viewed from Earth, so that they kind of made a combined light. Of course, they were millions of miles apart, but from our view, they were closer than normal. And it has been documented that, in fact, around 7 B.C., very much in the accurate range of near the birth of Christ, that Jupiter, the planet of kings, as it was called, and Saturn, which had some associations with the land of Israel for certain reasons in that time, came close together and had a sort of heavenly ballet where they were seen as if their lights joined one another for those who observed. That may have been something that awakened the interest of trained observers of the heaven like the Magi were. Add to that and and come in with something rather fascinating, I think, is that only about 50 years ago, when the West began to really dig into things in China that had been shrouded to us for many, many centuries, it was some American and British astronomers were studying the ancient records of the Chinese Astronomers who were rather astute in this field themselves. And it was found that they had records of an unusual star. It's been given the name in the West, Theta Aquila. You can go look that up if you want to. Theta Aquila, a star that appeared in March of 5 BC. British astronomer Mark Kidger and others found these records and thought about the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and put forth this theory. He said, perhaps these observers of the sky were first awakened in their interest by something that most other people didn't see or or didn't notice uh, being all that unusual. The conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn awakened their interest. And then they saw this new star, Theta Aquila, which moved on an arc of a path from east to, to west, very interesting. Does that explain the star of Bethlehem? I certainly don't know. God only knows. And of course, we can't discount the idea that God was governing and moving upon whatever it was that happened, because however we explain it, it happened at the pre- at the time near the birth of Jesus, and here was God providentially allowing this sign to serve a spiritual purpose, even if it was a real event in the heavens. I don't have an answer for you. Those are theories. Those are possibilities. That's not the point that we know exactly what it was, except that we know God controlled this, and God, who governs all things, who made the heavens, used this. There's just a couple lessons I would press on you that this phenomena ought to have for us. Certainly it tells us that God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, was also the Creator who made the universe. Stars and planets do His bidding. Psalm 19 has that great phrase, the heavens themselves are telling the glory of God. Second Corinthians chapter 6 has an interesting statement when it likens God who created all things and Jesus Christ, it says specifically God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Matthew, I think, shows that God can use many different signs and evidences to lead those he is calling to come and acknowledge and worship Christ. He can use all kinds of things. If not a star in the heavens or something of that kind, he uses people who move in and out of our lives and give us a witness of Christ or who live a, a life with a character that intrigues us and draws us and makes us say, what makes that person like that? I want to find that out. And when it leads, it always leads us to the Scripture because I have you noticed that about the Magi. They had to come to Jerusalem having lost the trail. They didn't know where the star was moving when they came into Jerusalem, and they asked Herod's Bible scholars, and they had to consult the Word of God. The Word of God, the revealed Word, always is a part that leads us to true knowledge of God. We will never be saved by faith in Jesus Christ by observing the heavens alone. We need the Word of God to reveal who He is and how He comes to save. I would remind you as we close of a last thing as the book of Revelation in its last chapter actually Revelation 22 has Jesus Christ speaking of His return His glorious return to history which He has promised and there He gives us a name of Himself it would be the last of many unique names given to Christ in the Bible, he says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is the star. You remember there was a musical some years ago, Jesus Christ, Superstar. Some people thought that was a derogatory thing to call him. Well, he called himself that, really. And tonight as you celebrate our Savior's first coming, in the beauty of the music, in the quietness of this night, in anticipation of a good day tomorrow with family and friends and all the things that Christmas signifies, I have to remind you this. He is coming again. He came once, and he is coming again. And then it will not be quiet happening off in a corner where only a few shepherds are called to witness or these Strangers from a far land are the only ones who interpret the signs, then it's going to be completely different. The Bible says he will come with power and great glory and every eye will see him. And those who love him and those who obey and worship him will greet him with glad shouts of welcome. But the scripture also says there will be those who flee from him. There will be those who say, let the mountains fall on us because we thought it was all fairy tales, this thing about Jesus coming again. He will come as judge and there will be no terror of him to those who already belong to him by faith, but others will flee from his presence. And so I leave you with the one signified in all of this, signified by that star and by the coming of the Magi, the one who told us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us in the scripture that what you decide to do with him in this life counts forever. It counts forever. I urge you tonight, this Christmas Eve, to call him your Lord, to bow before him in true adoration, to give him your life and your allegiance and your mind and your all. He is the light of the world. Amen.